0: Triple M's The Real Football Show Catch-Up. Saturday mornings from 7am for CMI Toyota. SA's number one Toyota dealer.
1: Triple M's Real Football Show. Oh, what a goal!
0: Where Chris Dittmar, Albie Kidd, Marcos Flores and Val Migliaccio discuss the biggest
2: issues affecting fans of the round ball. Terrific,
0: bro. Super
2: finish! The Triple M Real Football Show. Yes, indeed, we are talking real football, no doubt about that. And as usual, Val Miliaccio, the biggest newsbreaker in world football. How are you, Val? Very well. It doesn't get much real than uh, Man United, nine, Southampton, nil. Mm. All right. We'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, Covering everything in the world of football. and We're down a couple of men this week, so we've got a substitute and a big one off the bench as well. Interesting character, an Adelaide fella, James Kitching, who now resides in Zurich. How are you, James?
1: good, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Now, tell us about your role at FIFA. This is extraordinary. Sure. Look, um, the official title is Director of Football Regulatory. What that effectively means is uh, is my team and, and what I do. We're in charge of the football transfer system, among many other things. We set the, the football transfer system.
2: Exactly Bloody right. Bloody hell. Yeah.
1: That yeah. is a 24-7 job. And you're not wrong. Good you luck. Can, you can tell from my eyes. But uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, so we, we, we manage all different aspects of that from the disputes in the system to the, the physical transfers themselves through our computer systems and ensuring that transfers are done in compliance with all the rules and regulations. And now we're implementing two projects, one relating to football agents. So five years ago, FIFA decided to effectively deregulate its agents industry and now it's bringing back regulation to to sports agents in football boy i've yeah. got so many questions to ask you
2: now i know what yeah. your role is yeah. my god val we could be here forever
1: <laughs> what a know. can what a can of worms we've just opened I here yep. Hey, I hopefully hopefully the can's not that big so no
2: anyway later on we'll talk to bruce yitte from adelaide united as well val i know you've got some questions about their junior setup down there or lack of
1: Yeah,
0: I mean, a lot's been said about their development and they're pushing through very good young players or players in the making and and they're getting, you know, their results are hot and cold. But they still haven't got what the Asian Football Confederation have been demanding for about a decade. And that's at least three junior teams from the under-15s and below. That's a true... Mm development yep. but we'll ask Bruce about yep. this and why right. it's not happening
2: okay James we're going to get to straight into you as I said interesting stories uh, I, I've got a couple of sons who I think would love your job and I'm really really keen to know and, and it's great to know that a boy from Adelaide like you who loves sport can end up all the way at the top at
1: FIFA in Zurich how, how did you get there it's a, a long story, but in short, um, look, when I was uh, 20, 21 years old, I was playing amateur soccer here, and I'll say soccer because it's what we call yep. it in, in, yep. in Adelaide, but it is the real football. I was playing amateur soccer for Olding Nations uh, Soccer Club in the South Australian Amateur Soccer League, and I got involved there with the committee. Um, I was first just a normal member, then I was a secretary for a, f- a few years. At the time, I was finishing a law degree, and I knew that I always wanted to work in the sports industry, but you know, ma- melding those two uh, aspects, law and sports, is quite difficult, <laughs> Um, after a couple of years of working in Adelaide, I, I went overseas to do a master's degree in, in sports management and law. And where did you do that? That was, uh, it's colloquially known as the FIFA master is the course. It was across three universities, one in, one in Leicester in the UK, one in Milan in Italy and one in, uh, Nuschatel. so therefore you targeted FIFA that, that what you thought mm. that's the career path I want. Targeted football. Definitely, yeah, right. definitely yeah. targeted football. And, uh, after that course finished, I was extremely lucky. It was actually on my graduation day. I got a phone call from... Uh, the gentleman is currently the CEO of, of Football Australia, James Johnson. Asked me to come to Kuala Lumpur to work at the Asian Football Confederation on a one month consulting contract on a specific job. Yep, one month turned into five and a half years, yep. and then uh, the rest was history. Had my own well, business, and, I think and, it yeah. is important.
2: I mean, mm. this Val, that you mm. know, I, look, I've got a son who's a lawyer, can't, you know, and mm. loves soccer, he's come out of Adelaide Uni. This would be a dream job. And I'm, I'm just rapt to know that someone like you can, mm. I know you've worked extremely hard, I'm not saying it was easy, but mm. you can actually go on that career path and end up at FIFA in Zurich. So well done. I mean, congratulations on an outstanding performance so far an achievement. Just on that, we've got another Adelaide boy
0: at Zurich as well, um, a former Blue Eagles player, Gary Moretti, used to be yep. the Socceroos team manager, started off at SBS and media. He's the FIFA competitions manager, is that right?
1: Yeah, he's the head of competitions in, in, Gee, that's in, in our competitions team. Actually, you know, uh, as I like to say, you can go to any bar in the world and you can find an Australian somewhere no matter where you are. FIFA's mm. getting a bit the same these days. Yeah. There's, there's five or six of us there now and we're, we're slowly growing, so we're getting there. But just last week we had Paddy Dominguez. He's the president of the,
0: uh, <laughs> the Global Agents Association and we spoke about Australia's lack of being in the market now you told me before the show an extraordinary figure about this current 2020 climate and and how much money's been generated through the transfer system and i can't remember the figure but it's blowing my mind because australia's made 1.9 million between all the clubs
1: in this country how what was that figure again so uh what we see at FIFA are international transfers. So that's when a player goes from one club in one country to another. So we, our system, the way our, our computer systems are set up is transfers have to run through our transfer matching system. For national transfers, we don't see that because that's contained inside a country. Um, the, the market itself for international transfers in 2020 was approximately more or less $5 billion. <laughs> In 2019, <laughs> now in 20, and the interesting thing is that is when you look at the, the sort of the, the talk that goes around that, in 2019, the market was worth $7.1 billion. And, and the, the headline is that there's an actual 23, 24% drop off from, uh, from 2019 as a result of COVID. But what a lot of people are missing is despite COVID, the 2020 calendar year in international football transfers was actually the fourth highest uh, fourth highest amount of money spent in football history gee that's uh, incredible and so it sort of goes to show how football um, is a little bit immune to <laughs> these types of issues Yeah, sure
2: so last mm. week Messi signs a new deal in Barcelona
1: but that's not an international deal so I take mm. it you don't oversee that yeah, so let's say for example Lionel Messi <laughs> transferred and I'm not going to say a club just in case it causes a club headache, ABC like, in, in London Or yeah, <laughs> club ABC and let's say Mongolia yep, make, it, make, yep. it, make it make it more fair um uh, what would happen then is the Mongolian club puts the transfer uh, deal into our system. Mm-hmm. Then Barcelona on the other side matches that deal saying, yes, this is what we've agreed. The federations are also involved and that yep. goes through our system. And then yep. our, our lawyers and our operations team checks that to make sure it's all okay. But um, effectively, every single international transfer of that $5 billion I was talking about goes through our system. Right.
2: Now, Val, I just want to ask this question. Now, this is a very... um probably narrow question, because we grow up here in Australia and, and many, many people are accustomed to seeing either an AFL or, a, or an NRL deal here where it's all regulated, we have salary caps and those types of things. Mm. Are you concerned in any way with what happens outside of that deal? Like, are there laws and regulations? if mm. If player A player X is signed for, you know, X million dollars a year, big, big contract. But the club then says, oh, and by the way, we'll give you a Maserati on the side and we'll give you, you know, cash during the week as well to get your groceries and whatever.
1: Is that of concern to you or is that, are they breaking any rules? Yeah, so, so when it comes to, to elements that you're talking about, like that financial regulations, it's part of, them. one of the parts of my job is, uh, the transfer system itself was sort of born in, in 2001 out of, uh sort of the famous court case of Bosman, everyone sort of knows the name that's around football because it it meant many different things to how the, the, the transfer of players internationally occurred. That transfer system itself hasn't had a, a full-scale modernisation or review since 2001. So what I've come into in my role at the start of last year was about a quarter of the way through that process. And one of the key things that the 2021 cycle of modernisation topics is going to cover is what we call financial regulation. And that's going to potentially look at things like excessive spending, um, speculative values on player registration, so how much a player is worth, um, and other tools that we can use which we can borrow from other sports because you don't really see these tools in, in, in the real football, things like salary caps or luxury taxes or other kinds of redistribution models where the top of the game funds the bottom of the game, which is how it should be. Um, so on a specific deal like that, um, no per se at the moment. There's nothing we look into. They're not breaking any rules by doing any of that. It would Not breaking any FIFA rule per se, but they might be breaking a a domestic rule because there's nothing stopping in Australia, for example. There's a salary cap at lower levels in Italy, England, uh, there's salary caps. China, there's a luxury tax. So it really depends because our framework, as you know, in Australia, obviously, our sports uh, deal with the the local organiser, whether it's the NRL, the AFL, uh, Football Australia or the new A-League company, NBL, et cetera. But there's an added international layer on top, which is what which is what I deal with as well. So there's mm. there's other elements related to that. Mm. Just uh, I remember you, when you came
0: back to Adelaide to to start your own business, and and you started working for clubs that didn't actually claim the train on fees, mm. which were outstanding. So for example, a kid. Get signed by Adelaide United, so Adelaide United would need to pay his home club train-on fees. And how how much money do you estimate's outstanding still with train-on fees? And and what do they start for? And what do they stand for?
1: It's, it's a good, it's a good question, Val. And 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 look, I'll give you the international experience because that's one of the that's the second project that we're implementing now. So uh, one of my jobs is to help. Help implement what we call the clearinghouse, and the clearinghouse is going to be, or the FIFA clearinghouse, and the clearinghouse is going to be an intermediary payment provider in the football transfer system. So, what that means is, in any international transfer of a player, if there is a payment, uh, that payment will first pass through the FIFA system and then go to the club on the other side that's entitled to receive it. Now, the first year or first two years of the project, what we're looking to implement is an automated system which talks about the redistribution mechanisms that you're talking about now. Um, So in international football, uh, based on FIFA regulations, there are two ways that training clubs can earn money if a player that they trained has transferred and is now a professional. They get effectively rewarded for producing a professional player that generates the media rights and and the interest and everything else that occurs. One of those is what we call training compensation um, and one of those is what we call solidarity contribution. So effectively, if a player moves between uh, the age of uh, 12 to 23 internationally, uh, there is a potential that there might be a training compensation payment. If there is an international transfer which involves a fee of any kind, then a percentage of that fee is put aside that the training clubs are meant to be entitled oh, okay. to. Now, what That's happens good. is the system, the way the system works now is the training clubs. So whether it's uh, you know, Eastern United out here or Comets or whatever if they had a kid at 12 or 13 years old that passed through there for a couple of years and then 15 years later is a $100 million transfer from a Chinese club to an Italian club, the Comets or the Eastern Uniteds or whoever, they're meant to know that that player was with them 15 years before, basically put their hand out to the big Chinese club or the big whatever mm-hmm. club and say, can you please pay me my, my percentage? And they do that through you, through your office? They do that through our office, but what happens is, let's be realistic, a lot of those clubs at those levels are uh, are not, uh, are not professionally staffed. They don't have the adequate records. The paperwork, exactly. Yeah. So what we're doing is we're automating that. And so that goes back to your original question. Our, our so every player in the world, as a young boy or girl, would then be on your books, effectively. Yeah. And and what goes back to that system? Our research showed that in 2019, we don't have the data for 2020, but in 2019, um, uh, you know, the 7.5 or 7.15 billion dollars through the transfer system, there was approximately three hundred and fifty to four hundred million dollars that should have been redistributed to You're training right. clubs wow. around the world. Gee, that'll make a difference. And only about seventy million of that was actually declared as being received. So right. there's a huge gap. And so what we're trying to do is, is bridge that gap. And as, you know, in my role and in my former role and, and, and where I was working in Australia before, um, you know, you see obviously Argentinian and Brazilian clubs—they're very militant and vigilant about the players that they train, yep, yep. because those small amounts that they might receive, you know, half a percent of a transfer or whatever, mm. they fund that club for mm. for a significant number of years. Yeah. And <laughs> then, and then, but then those clubs are not having to go out and and charge junior tra- junior registration fees, mm. and and their costs are covered. So All it's, right. it's this a is a good positive life. story. You're like yeah. they're like they're doing it, mm. and j- you know, just going
0: back. So obviously, this is to do with clubs. So. Players going through clubs. Mm. Now, I see a lot of times players are announced, say for Adelaide United, coming through NTC. NTC is not a football club. And I'm thinking, what happens there? So who who gets that money? If a kid's come through, say, through Comets until he was 12, goes to NTC, or gets out at 16, who gets that
1: train-on for? So in in the international system, it would depend on the registration information that's provided to FIFA through the domestic uh, registration uh, system itself. So the question would then be is whether within uh, the relevant federation, and we're not just talking about, for example, national training centers or Mm. state training centers in Australia, but also private academies, et cetera, et cetera. It It depends if they are registered as a club and participate in what we call organized football. Um, if they are, then potentially they might be eligible to receive that money. But a lot of those, a lot of those uh, sort of private academies, particularly, are not not eligible because they, they act outside of the, the football framework. And again, um, going back to what I said at the start, when we're looking at modernising the transfer system, one of the topics that's on our modernisation uh, process, and actually the first meeting for the year is next Wednesday, is um, how we can better address the concept of private academies within the the FIFA framework, because right now there are some basic rules and reporting requirements that are not heavily enforced, and we need to look into uh, we need to look into how we can better integrate those academies within the football framework and protect those kids that are they going through those academies.
0: <laughs> so essentially, if a kid comes through a federation system, well, it's not called the federation anymore um, for for good reason because there's no members. <laughs> And they they're entitled to training compensation, aren't they? Double dipping, because they're taking money from the registration of kids, training them, that, which they pay for, and then still getting money. Oh, that's triple dipping.
1: I'm going to Isn't that unfair? I'm going to go back to my uh, lawyer training and say, um, <laughs> and no comment, and, and say well, no comment. But also, I mean, each each country has a different system. So what FIFA applies is is FIFA's rules and regulations, and. And so, uh, in that respect, it, it depends on how each country works. All right, we're talking to James Kitching, the Director of Football
2: Regulatory at, the, uh, at FIFA over there in Zurich, an Adelaide boy who's done very, very well. James, uh, my next question is about uh, unscrupulous managers or agents. Sorry, not mm. the managers, the agents. Mm. Um, does that come under your jurisdiction or are you only concerned about the actual contract
1: itself? Good question. Again, uh, it does so. Uh, obviously, as part of the football transfer system, uh, what we are now going to call football agents are a big part, regardless of, of whether you you think positively or negatively about them. Yeah, um, football football agents do drive uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the work within that system and and do have a role to play. In twenty fifteen, FIFA made a decision which we're not afraid to say was a mistake, and that mistake was we had central regulation coming out of FIFA in Zurich, and we decided. To deregulate because we found it too difficult to enforce. What that actually created was a system where, as we told every every association around the world, the 211 members of FIFA, you're now in charge of agents in your territory. Please regulate it in accordance with some recommendations from FIFA. Sure. And that created a wild west. Hmm. Um, And so what we what we've what we've basically seen now is uh, much like. um, Well, I'll I'll rephrase. My view and and the view of the way we're working towards is a football agent is is potentially one of the most important people in in the life of a client and that relationship that a football agent has with its client, whether it's a player, a coach, uh, a club or an association that looking to hire an individual should be no different to any other relationship that you or I have with an agent that we appoint to conduct a financial transaction on behalf of us. Spot on. So therefore,
2: why why wouldn't you or Mm. could you have – some sort of, um, whether it's even a training program yeah. or a course, mm. that if I wanted to be an agent tomorrow, I get the feeling that right now I could actually just say, yeah, I want to be an agent. I'll fill out some forms and I'll register. And I can do it part-time on my weekends, which I have mm. seen firsthand. <laughs> what I'm suggesting is that uh, if you really are serious about this and you want to get involved in big transactions on a world stage, fly to Zurich, do a course for a year or two, mm. actually commit your own time and money and effort to it and be serious about it.
1: Effectively, that's what we're looking to do. Um, okay. More or less, not exactly like that, but more or less, um, when you look at those industries I was talking about, whether it's a, a lawyer, client, accountant, client, financial planner, real estate, yeah. anyone that you appoint to, to act for you in a transaction, um, there's some kind of education barrier, whether it's so, yes. five years at uni or yes. a course. So we're going to introduce that for, right. for agents. Secondly, there's always ongoing uh, continuous uh, professional mm-hmm. development because you, know, you might do the course in 1995, but in 2020, the... The, the situation is very different. So, we're going to introduce CPD requirements for, for agents. And the third point is uh, uh, we're going to strictly regulate what we call character requirements. Because, you know, in those relationships I talk about, uh, you know, when we talk from a legal perspective, that the primary point of that relationship is there is what we call a, a fiduciary duty or a duty of loyalty between the client and the agent. That means that the lawyer, the accountant, the financial planner, the real estate agent, or in this case, the football agent, they have a duty to act in the best interests of you, the client. Yep. And what we see in football, particularly where um, the market has been unregulated, uh, circumstances where some agents in in some cases are certainly acting on their own behalf mm. uh, to to increase the amount that they can potentially receive from a transaction. And I'll give you one example. And I read it last week, actually. And we have a, unfortunately, we have a litany of these um, and we have a, a dossier um, as big as this newspaper right here um, but if you go into Le keep in, in the French press last week, there's a great example, and I won't name the clubs, but you can find the story where a club president gives a, uh, an example of his transaction to hire a player where they were stalling on the, the salary amount. Um, so he took the agent aside outside of the transaction and basically agreed to increase his commission. And lo and behold, within a certain amount of time, the player agreed to the <laughs> salary, which was exactly the same salary that was really uh, that was on the so table. So the player originally. didn't benefit at all, but the manager did. Yeah. So mm. so we're looking to really introduce a robust, enforceable framework around agents, not unlike that you would see in Australian sports, American sports, where those matters are collectively bargained between the player association and and the and the league itself. Yep. In Australia, in in a global context. We can't obviously collectively bargain with each each 211 yeah. federation, but mm-hmm. we have a we have what we call a transfer system task force where we have uh, our professional stakeholders involved. So FIFA, the World Player a- uh, the World uh, Player Association, the European Clubs Association, the World League Forum, they're all involved in the negotiations. And We're also dealing with agent groups as well around the world. Yeah. Uh, some have chosen to participate in our process, others not, um, taking their feedback on what the regulations should look like, what the rules should look like. And hopefully, uh, by the middle of this year we will have uh, rules in place again mm, mm. and then uh, following a trans- transition period there will be uh, there will be a, an obligation of all parties in the football transfer system to only use a licensed agent so in that respect let's step hope, in the right direction yeah Let's hope those things you talk about can be uh, can be addressed sure
0: Just, uh, another question can an agent own a football club and i 've seen that here in Australia and as, there's Definitely one in the A-League.
1: Interesting. Well, it's registered and, and there's proof all around it, the it's a, it's a, Look, it's a very good question. And these are the types of questions that I get asked often. Um, and, and sometimes I get a little embarrassed when I say, look, our rules don't actually touch specifically on that. Because these are the types of things, mm-hmm. like I said, which seem obvious and logical to... Yeah, uh,
2: that actually wouldn't even happen. It's bizarre. But are, yeah, they are happening. And yeah. I, want to, I want to extend that question. Mm. Committee members, board members of clubs mm. who quite seriously, we know, get backhanders, get percentages of transfers. Mm. Surely that's not so, within so the, way, the regulations well, of the game. Yeah,
1: so, so the way that our rules have been drafted, and I'm talking to the draft rules, uh, which are currently circulating through stakeholders for feedback, is that uh, any individual... Uh, that's involved in an agency uh, is not permitted to uh, have an ownership, uh, an ownership uh, share, or however oh, really? you describe so it is in, that, in a is club. That actually, a, a no, it's it's in the draft regulations now. Right, and and vice versa, any individual that is involved in the ownership of a of a club hmm. uh, is not entitled to have a an ownership in some form of agency. And there's various conflict of interest rules that also exist in the current draft. Um, right now, we have general rules, what you're talking about, um, you know, talking about ethics, et cetera, yep, yep. Um, uh, which cover those types of scenarios. But again, those are things which, um, you know, we're looking to expressly say no to.
2: All right, fantastic. James, stay with us. James Kitching, the Director of Football Regulatory at FIFA. Unbelievable stuff. Time now to talk A-League. O'Shea wants to keep peppering this right-hand side, and release Inget, who does well to keep it in, and that's a lovely header. And the opening goal, they deserve Brisbane Roar, And it's Dylan Wenzel-Halls yet again. Time. No a Crack from the top of the box and off. Oh, puts it top corner and does double that lead for Brisbane. 23 on 23. Elsie cuts in again. Can he get the curl this time? Oh, it's a horrible mistake, unfortunately, for James Delianoff. Constantopoulos from outside the area, and he's beaten Macklin Freak. On the line from Adelaide United, the football director Bruce Yate. How are you, Bruce? I'm good, thanks, mate. Yourself? Good. Sounds like you're out on the training park. You're not having a kick, are you?
3: I'm out on the training park, just uh, watching training, seeing how the boys are going.
2: Fantastic.
3: Here's Valmieriacio.
0: How is it going, by the way, Bruce? Uh, obviously, the team's been a bit hot and cold. And yeah. you know he didn't have a good result on the weekend, but uh, you've got Friday night now against Perth Glory, and that was another poor result away. But how are the boys recovering? Have you got the injured players coming back into the lineup? What's going on there?
3: Yeah, training. I'm I'm here as we speak, and uh, everyone's out on the pitch. Harvey's out there, uh, full training. As is as is Tommy. Um, Strainy's still uh, in the in the gym, and and I spoke to him earlier in the change room. He's still a fair way off, but. We're starting to get some bodies back. So that'll be positive.
0: Which is good. So, what, what's the end goal of this season? And I know that a lot of kids have been promoted, um, mm. and which is good to see because we, you know, Mohamed Touré is obviously, he had a good game uh, the week before against Melbourne victory. Maybe not so good on the weekend, but there's a plethora of young players coming through. So, what's the end goal for the season for, for the club at the moment?
3: Look, the goal's obviously to win it. Um, we obviously got to be. Realistic as well in the sense that, of course, it's possible to win it in the way the season's structured with finals and, and everything, but certainly to to, to make finals, um, um, that's the key, and, and to develop players as well. I think you can do both. I don't think, uh, you know, if you promote young players, it immediately rules you out, and I, I don't think if you don't promote young players, you're, you're guaranteed to win it. So we've got to try and find the balance. Um as we speak, we're, we're speaking to a few experienced players we're looking to bring in as well. Um, but we'll keep promoting young players. That's a long-term philosophy and goal of the club.
0: So just with, with the long-term philosophy, and obviously a lot of the clubs now have got academies, and I know that you're promoting young players, but you're getting them from another system. And I also do know that the AFC for the past decade have wanted clubs especially playing champions league to have at least three teams under the age of 15 yep to qualify so if you do make the champions league that's a hurdle you're gonna have to get over for 2022 so where's the club sitting with this potentially with academies because i think um it's only Macarthur now and western united who are in the process of getting their academies together i think for next year not having academy so where does adelaide sit with this
3: yeah, so one of the first things um, that came to my attention when I, when I first took the job in 2019 was the complete disconnect between the youth and the first team. So speaking to all the players, speaking to all the staff, that was a common theme. I then went on um, to speak to the chairman about our need to, one, bring the youth set up and the first team set up closer together. Adding to that, when you go further down in terms of age groups, we, we're taking a lot of players from NTC programs, which is run by Football South Australia, up into our youth team. So off, the model's worked really well. The model has worked really well, and that's shown. Ayrton, who was the head of NTC for a number of years, um, is now our youth team coach. Carl Geert, who was an NTC coach for a number of years, is now our head coach. So. The connection's been there. It hasn't been branded Adelaide United, and that's something I think that we we need to absorb that program in one way, shape, or form going forward. And uh, we've actually got a plan, and it's obviously you know the the hardest thing is uh, financing it, and you know we're going to present to our chairman again um, in the next few weeks, and you know it's COVID's obviously put a bit of pressure on the finances and what have you. But Mm. for me, I think in the medium to longer term without an academy, uh, uh, what we've done over the last two years becomes increasingly difficult because we sold three players last season. If we want to sell three players every season, you need a conveyor belt of talent coming through. Yeah. And at the moment we're in a purple patch. There's not a conveyor belt, you know, so it's, you know, the, you can have. You don't want to be the club that has one good transfer window, then do not sell anyone for five years,
1: yeah, while you wait easy. for
3: the next purple patch. So, certainly, an academy is is right up there on on our agenda, and without it, we can't really fulfil our ultimate goal, yeah. which is to promote young South Australians, give them a chance to play A League football, and help them fulfil their dreams of going to Europe. Like. You don't want to do it once every two or three years. You want to be able to do it consistently.
2: So just getting back to the more senior players, you said you've got your eyes on some at the moment. What is it that you need, Bruce?
3: We need midfielders, in my opinion, um, and in the coach's opinion. It's not just my opinion. We, we have a coaches meeting every – we have a football meeting every uh, every week, and, and it's clear to us that, that we need a bit more experience in the midfield. So that's what we're looking for, and uh, I'm sure we'll have a couple in, in the next few weeks.
2: Oh right, really? Okay. So, so you're close. Woo.
3: Yeah, we're close. Yep. Europe. I couldn't tell you guys. Just <laughs> give <laughs> <We're> it, Just <laughs> give us a name and be done You can with narrow them, it down to a region. <laughs> <laughs> just give us a region. <laughs> no, no. Look, we're 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 close. We're speaking. We're speaking to a, a, a few people. The the window opens again here. You know, I think sixteenth of February. Yeah. Um. Obviously, um. It's difficult with quarantine and finding flights and and all the rest of it. But yeah, we are close.
0: Well, just speaking to James before about the transfer system and uh, and Paddy Dominguez last week about transfers and I think in the last financial year, I think Australian clubs pulled about $1.9 million and, and uh, James was telling us that FIFA last year in 2020, it was $5 billion worth. How can Adelaide up the ante with transfers? And I know Riley McGree commanded not a bad fee, but... You know that's one day's pay for Cristiano Ronaldo. One day's pay. You know, perhaps yeah. what it was worth. How do you, What do you think you need to do to get a better transfer fee for your players?
3: You know what? I think I think it comes down to also what the national team does. I, when I, I'll put it this way: when I was playing, the transfer fees that were being commanded by Australian players were higher back then mm. than they are today. And if you look at the transfer market during that time, it's probably quadrupled in value. <laughs> so we've been going backwards at a, at a rate of knots. Mm. Um, it comes back to how Australian players are perceived. And the fact that we don't have really any top world class players anymore speaks to a lot deeper issues around development, youth development academies, what you said before. You know, people have spoken about the closing of the AIS. There's a whole range of. Um, Reasons why, Um, but I think with the transfer system, it's it's I don't know in in, in the experience I had in dealing with overseas clubs and and overseas agents, Australian players are very much marked down. Yeah, that 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 there's a real mentality of like, yeah, he's doing really well in the A League, but. You know, it's the A League. Can he do it here? Mm. They've got a similar mentality to what A League A play- League clubs have towards NPL players. Sometimes he's doing really well in the NPL, but can he really step up into the A League? So we're getting that on a on a on a global um, on the global scene. You know, there's no Harry Kules to look at. There's no Vadukas that in the past overseas clubs would think. Yeah, Australian players, they, they develop world-class talent. These are some of the best players in the world. So if you get a young 18-year-old Aussie, 17-year-old Aussie, there's no reason why they cannot arrive at that level. Now it's very hard to put a benchmark on it. You know, like, who's he as good as Aaron Moy? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yep. like, like that becomes that becomes mm. a, a, a discussion... In my experience, um, in the last transfer window, a lot of discussions were was sort of framed that way.
2: Fair enough, Bruce. As always, you make a lot of sense, mate. Thanks for joining us and uh, good luck to the boys this coming week.
3: Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on.
2: Good on you, mate. There he is, Bruce Yitte, Director of Football at Adelaide United. Let's move on. Uh, Plenty to cover here on The Real Football Show. Um, We've got James Kitching here with us uh, from FIFA, an Adelaide boy who's gone all the way to Zurich and uh, is doing well. I don't know how much you can tell us, James, but I know Val has been all over the Women's World Cup bid here Australia. I'll start with you first, Val. Where is it at at the moment?
0: I'm hearing um, host cities to be announced either this month or next month, and it looks like there will be 12 out of the 13 host cities. This is New Zealand and Australia that will win it. yep. Good old Adelaide. Um, We're a little bit behind the mark, and it's it's not so much for the government putting in the $40 it's for the capacity. It sits... Three and a half thousand seats below what FIFA, I understand, are demanding to bring the games to Adelaide. So come on, uh, state government and football, they say, get
2: your, uh, get we your got act a, together. We've got, blo- we got an Adelaide boy in the office in Zurich. James, what can you do
1: for us? <laughs> <laughs> um, look, again, uh, uh, I'll come back with the lawyer's answer and say uh, <laughs> and no comment or I plead the fifth. But, you know, look, I, I don't directly work mm-hmm. in that area and, and obviously these types of processes are, are competitive. So, you know, you've just seen that as well with the 2026 World Cup in the US, Canada and Mexico. They've just announced a, a plethora of host cities and there's only a certain number of slots that can be, can be given. So it's really up to the, the various cities to put their best foot forward when it comes to stadia, infrastructure, hotels and all the other things that go along with hosting a major international sports event.
0: We've got everything bar what FIFA want in capacity. We've got international airport, great hotels, great lifestyle, easy access, training training grounds. grounds.
2: We have everything. Come on, guys. Three and a half thousand thousand seats. Yeah, we can do it. All right, we will talk about that again in the weeks to come. Let's move on to the EPL, shall we? Uh, arguably the biggest, the uh, most exciting league in the world. Others would differ. Um, Val, want to start on a negative. Let's hear from uh, Marcus Rashford. Racism still lives in, in, in our yeah, society.
3: And the, and the thing is, I think as long as the powers that be can will continue to let people like that feel like it's something they can do, because it seems to be a fad now. Black player plays poorly or they think they play poorly and they come with all the, um, the emojis and whatever it is, but until they do something, really do something, you know, you you got your phone. Fo- exactly. Sometimes you got your phone. You're talking about shoes, jumper, and all of a sudden, shoes and jumpers and stuff come to your phone. There's ways of doing it. There's ways of being able to catch people, but I don't it, think they're, they're I don't think they're vigilant enough.
1: It, nowhere near. It's accountability. Uh, accountability. It's as simple as that. You know, in, in my opinion, the the platforms, that be whether it's Instagram and Twitter. I need to. I, I need them to show me these people hmm. and say they are. That will tell me they are doing enough. They're doing everything they yeah. possibly can yeah.
3: to, uh, you
0: know, but, bring some but justice. But they're to not
1: the court.
3: law, shouldn't it? This should be a matter for the law. Should be the law it, as well. Possible. They should then it should be something yeah. what they're doing hand in hand. Yeah, how, how much do they care deep down? Yeah. How much yeah. do they really? Care? And for those
1: asking why, you know, why are we still taking the knee? There, there you have go. It. It's right there in front, front of you. So, uh, no, no. Absolutely. Actually,
2: Ian Wright there talking, Val, uh, about the Marcus Rashford situation. Um, so still rife over there. We're talking uh, some of the big clubs, Manchester United. I know that my club that I support, West Bromwich Albion, uh, not doing very well at this either. Uh, Ian Wright calling for social media companies yeah. to do more to combat online discrimination. 100%. And not
0: only for, for racism, for actually abu- for abuse as well, because you can... I could sign up to Twitter, and and my name could be you know Mister Ring, and I could abuse anyone that I want yeah. and get away with it. Yep. And and these cowards are getting away with it, mm. and targeting in particular black players at the moment in England. And it happens in the Italian Serie A, it happens in Spain, in the MLS. It's disgraceful, and I, and I'm I'm with the Ian Wright social media companies. Now I need to get every single detailer, everyone who signs up, so we can track these people down and actually punish them.
2: Yeah, and governments need to get involved as well. 100%. Has to go all the way to the top. 100%. Um, all right, let's have a quick look at the games this weekend. The one that stands out for me, your favourite side, Val, Liverpool take on Man City. Oh, oh. Enormous game. Just, just go back a step before we get into that.
0: And, and at the top of the show, Manchester United, this is played Wednesday morning, 9 Southampton, nil. Mm. That's, an enormous, on that that's
1: an enormous result. That's disgraceful in the yeah. English Premier League. How yeah. can a
0: how can a club
1: be that bad, James? Yeah. Defensively, yeah. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> James uh, as, that. As, as a Tottenham, as a as a as a Tottenham. Well, you're in trouble that. this week because you're yeah.
2: taking on West Brom. You're in big, big trouble, my boys. <laughs> we'll have to have we'll have to have a friendly non. Financial wager. Okay, right. all right, but it's at White Hart Lane, so we'll, we'll we'll get some good away points there. Uh, hey, James, just a question without notice. You're in Europe. You're based in Zurich.
1: If you're on a Saturday on a weekend, where would you? What's your go to game? Do you have the pick of going anywhere? You know, it's an interesting one because I joined FIFA at the start of January in in 2020, and so actually watching a football match in Zurich, I haven't had an opportunity to do so because I was back home uh, in March directly from when the pandemic first hit. And then yeah. when I was back again uh, in the middle of the year for a little bit, football wasn't being played. Um, but the last live match that I saw, which wasn't in Australia, was actually in England, believe it or not. So I went to see Brentford play. I think it was Sheffield Wednesday in the championship. It was one of the last games they had at their old stadium. And uh, you, certainly do miss, you certainly do miss having that experience uh, there. And was, I got to a couple of Adelaide United games here. This season, and you know, having the fans in the stadium makes a huge difference. I yeah, think, certainly does. Experience.
2: Well, with your job moving forward, I, uh, you'd have the pick of the games any
1: given week. I reckon you could you could justify you need to go and speak to someone about a transfer and go and check it out. Um, much prefer taking my son to sit in the stands uh, and you know experience the, the true atmosphere as opposed to the the suits. But you know, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, good on you, James. Great having
2: you in here. Uh, if you missed it earlier, James Kitching's been our special guest, an Adelaide boy who's gone all the way to the top in Zurich. He works now for FIFA. Uh, in the regulation of the game. It's a huge job, James. Well done. Thanks for joining us and thanks for being a part of it. Val, well done again this week for putting the show together and we'll do it all again next week here on The Real Football Show. On your dits.
0: Triple M's The Real Football Show Catch-Up, Saturday mornings from 7am for CMI Toyota, SA's number one Toyota dealer.